Today is the 17th Sunday after Trinity Sunday, and the appointed gospel for today comes from the 14th chapter of St. Luke, beginning with the first verse. Now it happened, as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus, answering, spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent, and he took him and healed him and let him go. Then he answered them, saying, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. So he told a parable to those who were invited, when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, Give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from Jesus Christ, his Son, our Savior. Amen. In today's collect, our prayer is, Lord, we beseech thee, grant thy people grace to withstand the temptations of the devil, and with pure hearts and minds to follow thee, the only God. In the face of the temptations which the evil one would cast in our way, the prayer of the church is for the grace to withstand the devil and to follow the Lord. We need to so pray, because the devil is ever watching, seeking an opportunity to destroy us. Our thoughts wander and we can become dreadfully distracted. Attention to the word of God, meditation on that word when praying, requires the grace of God. We see an image of the focus of the evil one in the actions of those among men who oppose the Lord and his work. Consider the guile and treachery of the Pharisees. In today's gospel, St. Luke records, now it happened, as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. As we consider this encounter in the home of one of the Pharisees, it is worth considering precisely how obsessed they were with Jesus. They were filled with reviling accusations before the world. Their hatred led them to more and more extreme acts of persecution. And yet they imagined that they could sit down with Jesus, and seek out an opportunity with him in their presence, where they might accuse him. In Luke chapter 13, there were several encounters between our Lord and the Pharisees, which helped to establish the context for the healing which the Lord granted on the Sabbath day. It is thus that we hear of the woman with a spirit of infirmity, beginning in verse 10 of that chapter, where we read as follows. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity eighteen years, and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days in which men ought to work. Therefore come and be healed on them, 
and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for the all the glorious things that were done by him. Jesus had humiliated the ruler of the synagogue, but that was not all. When Jesus soon thereafter spoke of the narrow gate and called upon those who heard him to struggle to enter therein, the Pharisees took up a different line of attack. For we read, on that very day, some Pharisees came, saying to him, Get out and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. It seems quite obvious the Pharisees were trying to test his mettle. They wanted to see if Jesus could be fooled by their treachery and intimidated by the threat of death. If that's the case, they were quickly disappointed. For we read, And he said to them, Go tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures day, today and tomorrow. And the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. Jesus raised the stakes with them, declaring that he would die at Jerusalem precisely because of who he is. But that would not happen before that third day which he had described, and that he would not be frightened by their bluster about Herod's desires. It was after all this that one of the rulers of the Pharisees invited Jesus to come to his home and eat bread on the Sabbath. The presence of the man with dropsy was almost certainly no random occurrence from the perspective of the Pharisees, for they wanted to repeat the inst a repeat of the incident in the synagogue, but this time they wisely said nothing in the face of the questions which Jesus directed toward them after he had healed the man. There they were silent in the face of a miracle. Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, had already come to Jesus and admitted the obvious truth. For he says in John the third chapter, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. The Pharisees recognized that Jesus must speak for the Lord. The miracles are enough to convince on that point, but especially in conjunction with the fact that he fulfills the promised word. But they want to force Jesus to conform his teaching to their own. This is why Jesus speaks to them his parable of humility. The premise of the parable is easily understood all these generations later. For the principle of how wedding feast seats are handed out remains the same today. When it came to discerning a very simple question of the law, the Pharisees were speechless. But their power politics at the dining table was an entirely different matter altogether. Jesus told them a parable when he observed the careful status-based pecking order of their seating arrangements at the table. Thus the Lord warned them, When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him say to you, Give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. It is in keeping with such true humility that St. Paul wrote to the Ephesians and us as follows. 
I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It is all too easy to think of one's own honor and standing and to wonder, am I getting the credit I deserve? Paul, the prisoner of the Lord, a man in chains for the sake of the gospel, who was an apostle of the Lord called by Christ Jesus, had to write to the Ephesians and us to tell us that our egos are a threat to us. Worry about status is rooted in the thought that we have accomplished something for ourselves. When we speak of the grace of God, that's a very dangerous thought to have. The Pharisees wanted to stand in judgment over the word of the Lord, and this mentality has not changed. With alarming frequency, the world and the sectarians want to change what the word declares. It is for this reason that the papists are right now having their so-called Amazon Synod, where they will debate further per perversions counter to the divine word, possibly even allowing for the abomination of women's ordination. But no matter how much they surrender, I'm left wondering if it will ever be enough for the world. The world demands that the church endorse all manner of disordering of human sexuality and demand that the church let her lend her reputation in defense of every bit of pseudoscientific claptrap it demands, from evolution to climate nonsense. They will not yield to the word of God reigning. Rather, they insist that their agenda be put in the place of the gospel. But what about challenges in a far less grand scale? Remember the context of the prayer of Hannah, which reading from 1 Samuel chapter 2 is our Old Testament reading for today. Hannah's impassioned prayer, which seems to anticipate the Blessed Virgin's Magnificat, was prayed when the Lord heard her prayer and granted her petition concerning the birth of a son. Hannah was one of the two wives of Elkanah, and there was tension within the household of Elkanah because one of the wives, Peninnah, had children, but Hannah did not. Elkanah loved Hannah, but she was treated spitefully by Peninnah. And we read in scripture, And whatever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. But in time, the Lord granted Hannah that for which she had prayed, for she had promised the Lord that if she was given a male child, he would be dedicated to the Lord. And she gave birth to Samuel, who would serve as a prophet of the Lord. Thus we hear, Talk no more so very proudly, let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. Elkanah and her children would be utterly forgotten, save for her conflict with Hannah. But the one son of Hannah had a crucial role appointed for him in the history of Israel. There are many who are proud and self-willed who imagine that they know better than God's word. I have heard men blaspheme and claim that the word of God proclaimed through St. Paul, for example, was only Paul's opinion, or that somehow the scriptural teaching 
concerning the institution of marriage or the sanctity of life or the roles of men and women or the observance of the third commandment and on and on are somehow only the opinion of men. That is, whatever the pet sin of the person in question happens to be, there they imagine that somehow they may stand in contradiction to the word. The words of St. Paul recall us to reality. For he wrote, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is the walk which is the fruit of faith. In the souls of the Pharisees there was no room for God. But for those who are born from above in holy baptism and abide in the faith, such sanctification is begun, though never completed in this life. Who is the humble one save Christ, who took the lowest place and carried the sins of the whole world in his own body? God incarnate made atonement for the sins of fallen men, so that we, through faith in him, might have the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. St. Paul teaches us, this is what the Lord has accomplished for us. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. As the Son of God took the lowest place to deliver us from death, so he is now risen from the dead and has ascended to the right hand of the Father. As we behold the peril of our pride, we repent, but know that we are saved not through our humility, but by the grace of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We pray the Lord to daily grant us grace to withstand temptation and to follow the Lord in faith. Thus the Lord gives the body and blood of Christ Jesus to us, so that we would have the forgiveness of sins and be strengthened for the journey which remains before us until the Lord comes again in glory and brings this fallen world to its conclusion, its completion, when we shall rise and live with the Lord forever. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we beseech thee, grant thy people grace to withstand the temptations of the devil and with pure hearts and minds to follow thee, the only God. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, liveth and reigneth with the Father and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. The people of Salem Lutheran Church of Malone invite you to visit them today for the 10 a.m. worship service. Sunday school falls immediately after the divine service, and we are currently studying 1 Peter chapter 4. Salem is located approximately two miles north of Malone, off of FM 308. For more information on Salem Lutheran Church or these broadcasts, you may visit us on the internet at www.salemlutheranchurch.net. These broadcasters provided through the support of the members of Salem Lutheran Church of Milan.